What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. If you've already heard about the two great companies which support this show, CoinKite and River, skip ahead 70 seconds. If not, permit me that time to tell you why they might be of interest to you. CoinKite offers the products you need to securely store and use your Bitcoin. Recent events have once again shown, for many painfully, why it's so important to get your Bitcoin off exchanges or any other third party and take custody of them yourself. Do not wait to be another victim of their incompetent, fraudulent, or malicious behavior. The whole point of Bitcoin is to eliminate counterparty risk and avail of the unique freedom which that provides. The cold card is a time-tested, Bitcoin-only hardware wallet for doing just that. Taking self-custody may seem intimidating at first, but there are many resources available to guide you every step of the way and help you to experience just how empowering and liberating taking back control of your money can be. To get more info about their excellent lineup of products, visit coinkite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and custom approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. Let's do it. Being live stream, Ethan, uh, good to see you again, man. I appreciate you doing this. It was good to connect at the, um, it was a Breedlove Peterson thing in Miami, right? It was, yep, at the, uh, at the uh, Bitcoin conference in April. Yep. Yeah. It was great. I, yeah, uh, I sought you out. I, I was like, I've got to go. I've got to go meet him. Just make him real. Take his hand. <laughs> say, thank you. So, uh, again, well, thank was, you. Yeah, it, it was great. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming up and, and saying that it was, a, it was great to meet you as well. And, um, what'd you think of the, the event that night, the discussion between Rob and Peterson? I thought it was a good discussion. Uh, you know, being in that buzzing atmosphere of everybody like seeking just like important conversation facts, uh, you know, meaning all of those things. It was just great to be in a room next to all people like there for the moment. It yeah. was good. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, well, I mean, that's why we like hanging out with Bitcoiners, right. And why we go to Bitcoin conferences and stuff like that, because we're, you know, in normie land, those conversations are kind of few and far between. And if they do happen, you know, you don't always line up on the same sort of values or you're not always on the same wavelength with people, but a Bitcoin conference, like as soon as you, I mean, us meeting is a perfect example, right? Like you, you meet someone and immediately you're like, oh, boom, we're on the same page. Now we can just like yeah. get right to the good stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and so that's what makes those, those occasions so special and stuff like that. And then particularly in something like that, where, I guess even more concentrated than the conference itself. Like anyone who wound up at that event was probably very much interested in the, in those so-called deeper conversations around meaning and value and truth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was filtered for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now that was an amazing conference. I know you, you you speak about this and other people have heard about it, but the the ability for what was it twenty five thousand people to be Something all together like that, yeah. and and I didn't see a single person having a a temper tantrum in a line or, you know, like having a, a difficult time. Everybody was just going about their business with a smile on their face and, and, and accepting of what the experience was. It yeah. Was and if you really did, cool. it was probably one of those crypto people that were there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Sorry. I had to, yeah. had to, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's, um, 
again, that's what makes it so special. I mean, it's so, I mean, when I come, come home from those sorts of things, I mean, there is, and many people report this, there's kind of a sense of withdrawal, right? Because you, you're just, you're overwhelmed with like good vibes, almost like everyone you meet, it's just, you know, not, and everyone's so different. That's, what's kind of beautiful about it too. It's like people, they look different. They come from different backgrounds. They have, you know, different experiences and different histories and stuff like that. But again, I, I keep harping on, you know, I think one of the reasons why this people drive so well, is just, we've been attracted by this thing in Bitcoin that seems to have such apparent values imbued into it. And by virtue of our being attracted by it, like we must either already appreciate or have elevated those values in our own lives, or this thing has caused us to elevate those values. It's kind of proven the the value of those values out into the world and in, in, in intersubjective space. And because of that, I mean, it's just when we're all collected together in the same place, I mean, I think we're we are so collected because of how much we've come to value those things. And so it's kind of, it's unsurprising that we would, um, you know, relationships would develop so quickly in that context, because, you know, as we all know, lining up on values is probably the prime determinant of, of the strength or depth of, of any given relationship, you know, like you can have, you can share preferences and, and there's obviously a connection between values and preferences, but I would say the far, uh, more determinant metric of the strength of a relationship is aligned values, not, not necessarily aligned preferences. Yep. I agree. I agree. And I think that there's something about boiling them down. Those values are, are not like, you know, out of a list of a hundred, they're actually quite simple. They're, mm. they're, they're not all that varied. Um, and I also, I got to share that experience with my wife and it was really cool for us both to just, get in that, in that vibe, in that essence of in, in that much, in that many people and go like, Oh my God, this is really the potential of this feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. Humanity's ability to be with one another with smiles on our faces. Yeah. It was cool. And, and so genuine too, you know, because I'm sure we've all been in other scenarios, whether it's like fancy dinners or other conferences or stuff like that, where everyone is on the same page again, by virtue of being at like a conference that has some, relevance to people, whether it's like a professional conference of some kind or whatever. But I don't know, in, in my experience, all those other things I've been to, like you can have a good time and a fun time and and have good relationships, but everyone's wearing a bit more of a mask. Like everyone's putting on a bit more of a front, let's say. And one of the hallmarks that I love so much about this space, it seems, is that everyone seems willing, and again, maybe inspired by this, you know, the truth that Bitcoin represents, to just be what it is they are at the time we're in, you know, and yeah. let that, you know, be sincere, be genuine. And, you know, with a recognition that everyone is obviously imperfect. So everyone's kind of on a process of refining who they are. But I think that's what what makes it all the more endearing is that there's so little bullshit and facade and fakeness and, you know, so-called fiat everywhere. It's just people showing up as themselves because they, they believe or agree in the value of what this thing contains and and what it might and the results of that value what 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 this thing has the capacity to produce in our own lives and in the world and that just you know and pr- i'm sure for more more reasons than that causes people to just show up as they are and be humble and 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 try to learn try to connect try to contribute in some way totally i think i think maybe that mask that you're describing is 
part of the comparative analysis that we have to one another. It's like, mm -hmm, who are they? Who are they in relation to me at those other events where at the Bitcoin conference, it's who are you? Not who are you compared to me, but I want to know about you. Mm -hmm. That's just my interest. And then who am I? Oh, let me tell you about myself. Where at other events, I think that there's a comparative analysis going on between ourselves. It's like, how do I stack up against you? Am I successful next to you? How are you? How am I going to measure you or judge you? Things like mm -hmm, that. that mm -hmm. I think that that gets stripped away a little bit. Totally. Or it was I, for me. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned that in the document that you sent to me. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that comparative analysis is dialed down at in these sorts of environments around this sort of a phenomenon, let's say? Yeah. Well, I guess if I, if I, if I think about it, it's because... One, we've already started to align some of our values and ideals, right? We already sort of, the first filters there where we're like, hey, we're all here. Mm -hmm. We're at a Bitcoin conference. And we have interest because Bitcoin has truth, freedom, sovereignty, a lot of different values associated with it. Um, but I think the comparative piece, and if I if I back into that, people who are at the Bitcoin conference may have already done some of their own self-discovery of mm. what, what am I doing? Why am I going to the Bitcoin conference? Probably not going, I mean, some people are going to the Bitcoin conference to maybe find a job. Yeah. But I think other people are going to a Bitcoin conference to continue their education, to continue their desire to seek information, to find out more. Um, and the fiat piece which is the the paradigm I think that you're talking about of the, the difference is that in the comparative analysis to fiat, we're caught in that mouse wheel of what is success and success is measured oftentimes in wealth. Mm. And so what is wealth? Well, wealth is, is it cars or houses or, uh, uh, you know, a C title or an E title, sort of, sort of where where am I stacked on the measure of comparative analysis within a, a hierarchy of measures, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Whatever, a title. Um, and I think if we are able to get to the point of dropping comparative analysis as opposed to me versus who, whoever, we get into the essence of who I am, who we are, what do I want to do? I don't know if I care if you've got X amount of dollars in the bank or that you've got some sort of a, a professional success mm. because it's what do I do? How do I want to show up? How do I want to continue to provide value for not only myself, but then others that I think we get into the the root of like how we want to live our life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I no, I, I definitely think there's merit to that. I think it's also, you know, two things that come to mind. One is is simply that I think this, you know, part of Bitcoin's architecture and kind of inculcates in us a meritocracy, a proof of work sort of mindset. And so, as you say, I mean, oftentimes, especially in fiat world, 
you're comparing people, you're comparing yourself to others, not even necessarily in capability or, or competency. You are comparing those status and titles, as you said. And I think a, a culture around a meritocracy, around, you know, value for value, around proving your capacity for work or your talent or your skill set or your work ethic or whatever, probably becomes more of a concern than the, uh, you know, the appeals to authority, right? The status, the titles, the what have you. And I think another aspect of of why people show up in that way, kind of as themselves, genuine. And again, I mean, I, I'm always painting with broad brushstrokes here. There's a bunch of douchebags in every place and no one's perfect. Sure. And we all put on some sort of a, a facade, I, I guess. But um, I also think it's kind of one of the natural responses to truth. Because if something genuinely is true, you can't you can't negotiate with it, right? It's like you are the one that has to change. You the, you have no influence on it in a sense. And so I, I and I, the reason why I think that's a, that's relevant here is because I think that instills a type of humility. It's like oh okay, like and and as a result of that humility, part of humility I guess is admitting who and what you are, or and and representing that, and not attempting to represent something other than that, and. Again, I'm sure there's many more factors than that, but even that alone, I think, would be very conducive to um, interesting conversations, uh, kind of respectful uh, relation, you know, a, a facilitating respectful, open dialogue and relationships. And this is what you see in in these in these places. You know, it, it, all that is is on full display. The the respect the uh, mutual interest, the shared values, the shared humility, the shared mission, you know, that's obviously another one, like everyone is kind of focused on in the same direction, both for how they can benefit in their own lives, but how that also translate and in, translates into a, ben, a, a more broad benefit for, for everyone who chooses to avail of this. And so all you mix all that together. And that's why they, you know, these places kind of become just big love fests, basically, because, you know, there, there's just so much alignment that it just becomes like, look, great. We've removed all the bullshit. Now let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about whatever technical pursuit you're you're stuck on or interested in, or whatever philosophical or personal issue, like whatever. Let's just let's hit the good stuff, and we can do away with you know the fiat distractions, basically, that we've become yep. used to. Yep. No, I agree. I think the piece on truth is where it's like one of the big levers because like you stated, you're not going to change the truth and the introspection and the clarity when people start to observe truth, I think it starts to drop a lot of the false narratives that we've been chasing or knowing or aligned with mm. where we go, mm, I'm not sure that that's really important to me. Hmm. I'm not sure I really want to act that way, even though like I have been doing that. These mm. truths that we're sort of seeking and finding and then dropping them, we start to get even closer to truth. And I don't know what that I don't is. know if any <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if anybody ever gets to like tabula rasa, it's all clean and clear, and you're like, okay, here's truth. What right. now? Um well, I think that's but I that's, do think that sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. I was just gonna say I, I do think that that's where uh some of this meritocracy starts to show up because you get to the point where the clarity, the, the comparative analysis drops off 
and then you are there and you say, what, what do I want? How can I show up? How can I do, uh, what do I want to do here with this clarity without, Mm -hmm. without anything else? Then what's my merit? Then what's my value? What do I want? Um, man, that gets really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're in a better position to assess both your own value, like what it is about yourself that's valuable and, and how you might be able to refine that. And then to see value out in the world more clearly. And then I guess part of the mission is to have them converge in some way, you know, or close the gap between them in some way. And that is basically the creation of value. And, and, you know, you mentioned wealth also, and it's, it's an interesting question. Like, yeah, how should we define or, or understand or construe wealth in this emerging in how we're reconceptualizing value? And that's, you know, I, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think there's a, it's obviously not numbers in a bank account, although that's obviously important because that facilitates, you know, things in your life, but maybe it's just as simple as like having access to having more abundant access to the things from which you derive the greatest meaning. And maybe it's as simple as that. And that can be a cabin in the woods with your loved one and dog. And that, you know, you could not have more wealth than that, or that could mean, you know, I don't know the, however you, however you uh, derive meaning from things, maybe that's like your, your ability to do that is, is a better definition of wealth. Yeah. The thing that comes to my mind is, Wealth is probably determined or measured through our most scarce asset, which is our own personal time. And so if we're choosing to spend our time well, we're then being the most wealthy to ourselves because it's how we want to it's how we want to be in this scarce piece of the rest of our life. It's finite. And if we're living it where it's fulfilled, maybe purposeful, of aligned with your value, maybe filled with joy, maybe filled with action and not, not comparative, like outside of yourself, but knowing like, this is my moment. This is me right here, right now, what I want. I'm doing these things because this is how I want to choose to spend my time. Mm. That to me feels wealthy. So maybe it's something like, well, access to meaning per unit of time, something like that. I mean, again, you're, the scarcity of your time is what allows, is part of what allows those things to be meaningful, right? Because it means they're limited. It means, you know, you, you have to make a choice between one thing and the other. And doing that is what allows you to erect a hierarchy of what, what is most valuable or meaningful. And then it just becomes, you know, how how much access to those things of meaning can you have? And part of the constraints on that is obviously your time. Um, but it, it is interesting, you know, and I think there's maybe some truth to that, um, maybe a lot, who knows? But I think it seems to be the case that this is one of the changes that's happening. You know, we discussed the things that might facilitate people to interact as they do at, at the conference and such. Um, but it seems to be the case that meaning is and and clarity around what that is and value and meaning are very much related i would say but clarity around what meaning is and then it is starting to dawn on more people as a result of being wrapped up in all this and they're having to make those those determinations about well, what is most meaningful to me and then once 
as clarity develops around that, it's like, well, how do I bring more of that meaning into my life? Or how do I access more of that meaning? And it would seem that the answer to that question, and again, it's for each person to determine for themselves, is less and less material accumulation. And it's more and more something else. Uh, you know, there's many legitimate responses, but punchline being, it doesn't seem to be material accumulation. Um, and so again, if we, yeah, I think a, a, a better definition of wealth is your, your capacity or ability or abundance around or whatever uh, to access what you've determined is most meaningful. And so you could be, you could be the rich, you know, to yourself, you could be the wealthiest person in the world. If, you know, you just had a very humble life with the person you loved and you were engaged daily in work that you just was the most meaningful to you, whatever that might be. I, I think this is really interesting. Um, so I think what you just unlocked in, in my thought process is observing the things, the value that the ways that you spend your time, you kind of create a priority list, whether mm -hmm. that's family, profession, uh, entertainment, hobbies, whatever you do, right? You can create, you can create a value list, but it's probably in how you have chosen to stack them. And maybe this is a way for us to reorganize our priorities in a way that then do align with that meaning and value portion. What's most meaningful for me? You know, sure, I still, I still have to put a roof over my head and I still need to uh, provide for my family, but should it be the only thing that I'm giving my attention to? Or should I restack it and say, no, my family's actually the most important. And through the, the, the work of my uh, employment or career, that allows me to then reinforce the importance of my family because that's how I'm showing up for them. And yeah. that can be just a really like right next door to you've got your reality and then you reorganize or restack those priorities and you get a new reality with all the same components, but your perspective, your mind shift, your, uh, your heart, your intention can have a different alignment to your sense of reality. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason I'm bringing that up is I guess I'm, I can observe so many people who are successful that um, have a real grimace on their face, you know, and mm -hmm. they carry their, their weight, their shoulders and they're heavy and they're everything that it's like that doctor should just be like foot loose and fancy free kicking his heels up. Like he's made it. He's they've attained like the thing that everybody's told to strive towards yet they're like miserable. Yeah. And so in, in that awareness or, or um, reorganization of their priority, their same life might have just a, a, a higher mag magnitude of meaning or, or relevance or wealth where without the numbers changing, without even the components of it changing, but a restack or a reorganization of it. Yeah. I, I, of course, I totally agree. The, the interesting question is, why does it seem to be the case that an engagement with Bitcoin and understanding a use of a, you know, pursuing the rabbit hole journey, as it were, facilitates that reorganization? You know, because you could make the case someone who's like, you know, has it all, 
because and you know this has been an observation for eons right like wow this 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 billionaire this rich person they're supposed to be on top of the world and they're miserable and they're an asshole and they're a jerk and they're on antidepressants and all this kind of stuff so why is it so it's it, it, it it's not strictly an access to capital thing it's not strictly like your optionality in the world and your your ability to avail of the the fruits of the world let's say it's it there's some other switch in in the mind now i i think it's relevant that even if you're wealthy your relationship to your wealth is still uh there's a separation there right there's a third party there it's always contingent it's it's not unconditional you could say you know whereas the relationship with bitcoin can be as unconditional as anything could be right it's a you're not relying on a third party you're not taking counterparty risk and so Perhaps subconsciously, there's something at play there where even if you have, you know, tons of wealth, there's, certain, there's still an underlying anxiety, like maybe I won't be able to access it, or is it really mine? Or I just have to, you know, again, like, I think that's part of it, but it would seem insufficient to explain the totality of why that reorientation of values and meaning seems to, that process at least seems to get started or, or seems to be a very consistent phenomenon amongst people that go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And also maybe they start to put their accumulated wealth into the backpack that doesn't have a hole in the bottom of it, that gets drained out by our inflation rates and centralized planning that's not necessarily, you know, aligned with your thoughts or ideas. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you start putting your accumulated stores of energy into a backpack that doesn't have a hole in the bottom of it. You go, oh, I'm saving that for me or not even me but somebody else after me um i think i think there's a piece there i think there's something that um without the dilution of of your efforts it that changes like the dynamic equation of input and output it's input without the decay of somebody else that you don't have any say in um, I think it I think it's also the case even if you're well off right and the so the system has worked for you like even if you're super rich and by all accounts like you know you benefited from this perverse or distorted system we have I still think there's an underlying sense maybe it's conscious maybe it's subconscious that it's predicated on the wrong premises right it's 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 corrupt somewhere deep down. And this is why I think, you know, like I'm sure we, well, our own experiences and probably many people we know of various levels of the, the wealth strata or financial wealth strata, um, when they encountered this thing, it, it awoke them in, in many ways. Like it, it, cause it, I think it reinstills, uh, well, hope it reinstills a hope. And that's talked about often in this space, but it, 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 seems to be a system far more predicated on what most of us just have an inherent sense is right and true and good. And when you, when you get that, you're like, that's when, you know, that vision for the future just begins to explode on the horizon. And I can't help but think that that's no matter where, you know, no matter what your status is, that that's causes a tremendous sense of invigoration because like, let's say you game the shitty system and you won and you, there's obviously, you know, you take some satisfaction or benefit in that. But what if, what if 
a system that was more righteous, to use a broad term, was now available and happening and possible, and you could connect to that, and you would be able to, there's almost this, this sense that you would be able to, it would reward the better aspects of yourself, the, the, the aspects of yourself that you loved more, not the ones that you engage just so you could win in the in the prior system but ones that you actually believe are you know right and true and good and beautiful and which you would rather have constitute and motivate and incentivize your action but which were not rewarded as much in the prior system and i think that's another reason why it's so invigorating when you when the penny drops and you start to see it totally and i think that then humanity is going to benefit from that so Oh yeah. That guy, the person, whoever is chasing that brass ring and they're, they're working their ass off for it. Right. And they finally get that brass ring. They're kind of like, now what? Yeah. I got it. Mm -hmm. But what else do I have where that, this shift where I'm working for what I want, this is meaningful to me. They could, you could still make, you could still accumulate a lot as a person who's going out and, and serving your action, I don't have any judgment on that. Maybe you obtain your goal, but I think then the incentives for the reason you went to that goal is then going to propul like give you a propulsion forward that says, and now what? Because mm. this was great. And now what? Where if I'm if I'm to, you know, I guess cast judgment back to, to our current situation. You capture that brass ring, and it's like, okay, now we got to go find the other scheme to 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 move it forward to do it again. But mm -hmm. is it worth it for me? Yeah. Who else almost, is going to benefit? Yeah, it's it's. It, I think you get maybe once you climb to the top of that mountain or ladder or whatever the the proper metaphor is, you realize that you were climbing the wrong ladder. And and I think a, I'm not sure if tragedy is the right word, but one of the things that I think is somewhat unfortunate is that most people, because they're placed in, and like I, I say this all the time, I want to be clear that no, regardless of circumstance, it's my view that no one is ever, it's never wise to abdicate your responsibility for anything, right? Like everyone's in different circumstances. The best you can do is the best you can do with the tools you have and the circumstances you're in. And that is always the best approach. But it is also true that many people, perhaps everyone in, in some degree, has been placed in, an, in a scenario where artificial deprivation, they've been subject to artificial deprivation because of the way the system works, because of the way wealth can be siphoned away from them, you know, unbeknownst to them, knownst to them, without, you know, a, a choice in the matter. And one of the outcomes of that, I think, is that most people never get to experience the top of the ladder. So they, they spend their whole life in the hamster wheel that you mentioned in your in your the document you sent me. They they stay on that their whole life, supposing that what you know that carrot that's dangling at the top of it is worthwhile, and you know it, it just keeps them striving and striving and striving for that, and they they never get the chance to realize oh that was the the wrong carrot the wrong ladder like I was pursuing the wrong thing, and I think this is also why you know a lot of very wealthy people are oftentimes not the happiest people, not the most fulfilled people is because they, they are the ones that get to the top of the ladder and they have that realization. They're like, Oh, this, this is not as fulfilling. This is not as meaningful as I was told or promised or as I thought it was going to be. 
And then, you know, there's a bit of a crisis moment where you have to, like, you're confronted with that reorientation of, of value internally. And you're like, well, what is then? What is the thing that's fulfilling? And, you know, maybe in some instances, that kind of crisis moment destroys people because they can't answer that question. They can't fill in the blank and it goes down a road of depression and substance abuse and medication and that kind of stuff. And maybe for others, that crisis moment leads to, you know, filling in that blank in it with, with something else, with a different pursuit, with something that actually does bring about that degree of fulfillment that they thought the prior thing was, was going to deliver. And then, you, you know, it's a constant process. It's a constant feedback process to refine that and bring more of it into your life and to gain more clarity on it. But, um, but yeah, unfortunately, by virtue of the way the system is set up, I don't think most people are able to have that realization. And that's another thing that brings me great hope with Bitcoin, because I think, you know, obviously people will be able to uh, preserve the fruits of their labor far more, you know, ably or efficiently. And I think, you know, over the generations, a greater, more secure foundation will be built up within families, you know, so, you know, effectively more money will be able to pa be passed down through generations of families. And I, you know, there will be issues that we have to contend with, with that as well. It'll be a new circumstance and we, we won't be fully uh, adapted to it, but I do think it'll allow more people to have that realization in advance of it being at the end of their life, basically. Like they'll be able to, to uh, realize that simply material abundance or access to material abundance is not what delivers the most fulfilling experience of consciousness or experience of being a human being. And hopefully that means they'll be able to earlier in their life or in their process or journey, be able to confront those larger questions about what might, from what they might derive that fulfillment or how they might generate that fulfillment that is more, well, fulfilling and satisfying and, and meaningful than, um, the strict, you know, material abundance goal. Totally. I, I a hundred percent agree. I feel like that mouse wheel, the fiat mouse wheel or the ladder that, that you're climbing to get to the carrot. I think people can feel duped. It's like, wait, this is, this was it. I was always told, even as a young person, like, this is what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. but I'm not getting the thing that I, that was, hold that would associate with that or come along with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think that when people either feel duped or notice that they're maybe pursuing in the wrong direction, it's going to take work. And that's kind of this proof of work alignment with Bitcoin as well, where it's like, okay, not only do I need to step outside of what I, I thought it would just send me in the right direction. Now I need to actually question it. And I have to ask myself the hard questions. Mm. What do, what's meaningful to me? What's, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue doing this? Answer could be yes. Answer could be no, but you have to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we don't have enough time or space, or we don't even create the relationships to have those conversations to gain feedback or even just to sit with the question, we're too fastly moving on the wheel to to stop and observe or ask. Yeah. Um, but man, there's huge potential if we do. And I believe, and I believe that this this paradigm shift, this system change, is an opportunity for people to gain um, 
the ability to 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 ask that this question, mm-hmm. to to lay the gauntlet down, to to like take the comparative analysis away and go, what is it that I want? Yeah, and that's terrifying. <laughs> I bet it's terrifying. Yeah. Well, I've been working for 40 years or whatever it is. It's like, you want me just to drop it? What do you mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, cha- change is always hard, but certainly change on that level, such consequential change, you know, the change that literally motivates all the actions you take, how you exchange your limited time and energy resources for what you get back in life. The type of change that changes that is definitely a tough one. And I, w- I would say that most people probably reject it. It's too uncomfortable. It's like, look, you may, you may have some, there may be some validity to what you're saying, but I found a groove. It's comfortable. It's known. It's safe. And I'm willing to just ride this one out. And, you know, of course I, someone, I think that's a tragedy, but I can appreciate why uh, people take that approach because you're the whole, whole life and, and kind of the, the, uh, the agreement in life is like, well, you build up all that stuff so that you can go out into the world so that you can find your groove and, you know, accumulate what you need to accumulate, to survive and have fun and have all that kind of stuff. And to have such a profound and fundamental reorientation, a lot of that stuff will have to be, will have to kind of be taken down, dissolved away and recapitulated. And I think there's tremendous benefit in doing that. And again, I I think that is what is largely happening with a lot, a lot of people in the Bitcoin space. Like they are very much recapitulating their perspective, analyzing every area, doesn't matter what it is, politics, health, diet, food, economics, relationships, everything, and seemingly recapitulating it somehow on a basis of, of with a higher degree of truth imbued in it, let's say. And that is necessitating or fostering sometimes profound behavioral changes. And, you know, you got to applaud the courage that it takes to do that because again, it, it, it's, you, you have to go outside of your comfort zone, right? And that's always uncomfortable by definition. And so the people that do that, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for because it, it does require so much courage. But on the flip side, I can understand why, you know, and this is, we kind of uh, criticize the NPC types a lot uh, on, on Bitcoin Twitter at, li- at least. And it's because I think that's what characterizes them, you know, like a, rigid perspective, an unquestioning perspective, a, a rigid identity, an unwillingness to change that. Um, and as a result of that, being so easily led astray, being so easily convinced of things, being, you know, living the, the a relatively unexamined unexa- life, let's say. Um, and the, and the, the pitfalls of doing that, you know, the reason why uh, the examined life is, is important is because I think it causes you to uh, hopefully in the ideal over time, it, it allows you to interface with greater truth, to, to use truth as a mechanism for um, living a more fulfilling life and living a more successful life and, and that kind of a thing. And if you don't do that, then perhaps you, you just move further into delusion. And then you have that kind of, perhaps a glimmer of that wake up moment, that crisis moment we alluded to a second ago. And it's, I mean, that's why it's a crisis because it's so disintegrating. It's so, it's so right. disruptive to your perspective because you've you've walked so far down uh, one path and or the, let's say the wrong path and this is kind of bringing that to your awareness or your attention and it can be extremely unsettling. Yep. No, I I, I agree. I think 
I'm going to push back a little bit on, you know, people that have sort of taken, taken the system that they're in, they're doing their job, they're doing what they were told, and they're just happy with it. I'm going to question if, if, if it's truly happiness or if they're just coping with it in other ways. So, well, sure, um, sure. You know, I think the amount of substance use, abuse, drug use, uh, the mental health sort of statistics that are out there are sort of telling us a different story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where people can say, no, I'm, I'm okay. I've got a good job and I just don't know why I'm just so fucking miserable in the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that that's what also leads to that crisis event of dissolving what's, what's next to you or what's, what's been in, in front of you. But I, I, I don't know. I think that it, there's, I think that there's more virus in kind of our existing society than we want to accept or, or acknowledge. And um, the reason I say that is, and, and I didn't do like a super huge deep dive, but looking at some of the mental health statistics, like they're growing, they're increasing every single year. And to the point of like one in five American adults have a depression issue. And you're like, that's pretty telling. There's mm-hmm. something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's continuing to increase, we as Bitcoiners are, you know, know what inflation does. If that continues to inflate like that, like it's just it's gonna it's gonna implode. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lose our our capacities. We're gonna and and you know. Whether that's giving over our sovereignty, maybe that's giving over uh, our desire, maybe that's just we we lose passion. Mm. But then we're also killing ourselves, and we're we're numbing ourselves out for an existence that is beautiful if we so choose and make it so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I couldn't agree more, and I I would just say that you know we always look for, whether it's hyper Bitcoinization, the collapse of fiat, you know, any sort of, we tend to think of things in terms of like the watershed moment, like when the yeah. collapse happens, when the boom happens, when whatever. But the, the truth is, is everything is always in flux, right? So I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, like it's been imploding for a long time, you know? And, and as you say, these problems are, they become so normalized, not only because they're so prevalent, but because the, they are created by the very system of normalization itself. And so, as Jeff often says regarding money, it's hard to assess or fix a system with the thinking with, with thinking from within the same system. And I would say that applies broadly to, you know, culture, broadly speaking, today. And so, all these issues that you just mentioned, and it's interesting in in the document you sent. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't smile when I say it's interesting, but you said like the the uh, inflation and the depression statistics is like it's increasing by you know two point six percent a year or something like that. And what do you at least the the formerly uh, official inflation rate target. was about? Yeah, the yeah. target was about the same. And as we all know, there's definitely a correlation between the disintegration and the breakdown of you know markets and society and culture and and the breakdown of the money. Um, but all that just just to say like. Once you step out of it, right, and once you unplug yourself from the matrix, once you can see things with more clarity, maybe from outside the system or from a different lens, it becomes so apparent just how many 
you know, forces are at play that are that are conspiring to distort and place such a burden on people, you know, psychological and physical and just from every angle. And, and, you know, this leads a lot of people to concluding that there's some grander conspiracy at play and who am I to say there isn't, you know, there very well may be, but I, I do think this is more of an emergent perversion that causes every aspect of the system to be perverted in a particular way. And then, you know, the people who are able to, who have the moral flexibility, let's say, or have the greed or have the apathy or whatever to succeed in, in that kind of perverted system, rise to the top. And those very attributes just put fuel on the fire. They just make it worse. They help perpetuate it. And um, and again, I mean, I've said this before, and it, it seems like an odd thing to say because we live in what's seemingly such a technologically advanced time where we have, you know, conveniences everywhere and everything's at our fingertips and life has never been easier. But I genuinely think we'll look back at this era, especially from the perspective of a hyper Bitcoinized world as being basically a profound dark age. Uh, just because of, as you said, I mean, so many people suffer in silence in the manner that you just said, work that, you know, is soul destroying, that they hate, mental health issues, often medicated, often using various substances to relieve the pressure or just to get through or that kind of thing. And if it's not substances, it's food. And if it's not food, it's entertainment. If it's not entertainment, it's just general apathy towards everything. Uh, you know, and we could go on down the list. And I w imagine what it would be like if all of that were dramatically improved. Let's say it'll never be resolved. There's always going to be room for those things to creep in. But if they were dramatically improved, I mean, how would the material world look different? How would culture look different? How more, how much more capacity and time would people have to investigate those things that they derive more meaning from, you know, to, to pursue their own actualization, to pursue greater fulfillment, like all those things would be such a, that circumstance would be such a stark contrast from what we have today. And it, it very much seems like a lot of that has to do with the nature and the attributes of the mechanism that we use to transfer, store, and communicate value, energy, time, let's say, um, and the institutions and the structures of various kinds, corporate, public, you know, private, all that kind of stuff that emerge on top of those attributes, that em emerge as a result of those attributes. And so when we change them, i.e. when we fix the money, how, mu how many of those things will be resolved and to what degree? And I think the answer is, most of them a lot and yep. you know then then we can start to to heal to use a bit of like you know woo woo language but then we can start to rebuild from a stronger foundation and we can ask those deeper questions and the answers to those deeper questions will be imbued into our actions to the culture we see to the society to markets and then you know well then we're really off to the races but one of the things i was going to ask you earlier it's like we tend to think even from this fucked up vantage point of the distorted world we have and all the problems, we we all tend, I think we all share kind of like a similar vision of the at least midterm future, right? Like technology will continue, will continue exploring the stars based on Mars, based on, on the moon, self-driving cars, AI, this whole thing. But what we're talking about is a fairly profound reorientation of both the values that, you know, our clarity around our values, how they 
um, instigate or convey meaning to us, and then how our behavior is modified to pursue those things. And so if we're suggesting that, you know, a Bitcoin foundation dramatically changes those things in a lot of people, how might our conception and the one that we ultimately pursue, the future that we ultimately pursue, change as a result of our shifting of that hierarchy of values internally to perhaps elevate the intangible, elevate, you know, uh, relationships and int intangible things of value and, yeah. and demote material wealth, material value, material innovation. I don't know the answer, but it's one I've been thinking about a lot because I, uh, it seems like it's something we will, we, we probably won't explicitly confront it. It'll just naturally occur as so many things do, but it's interesting to consider what changes that those might, you know, might occur in that context. This is the reason I answered your tweet. This is the question that I want to riff on and, and, and wrestle with you. It's like, what is, what are those changes? Mm. And, and just to, jump back for one second everything that you described about our our current situation is we've ex we're we're in an abusive relationship and we just aren't willing to leave it is mm -hmm. really what our 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 current financial system and and that's broken down into our culture as well it really feels that way we're just not willing to leave it it's safe for us to stay because we know we know how to manage it Stockholm we syndrome know what sort that of thing. Is. It's totally Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do think that the the more that we change and transition out, and and the more people that have that crisis vent and wake up to what's what could be meaning or valuable to them, when they when more people start to come online, right? It's not it's not about like changing career paths or or um totally reinventing who you are, but coming online within yourself about what's important to you. I think that is where those cultural, societal, personal changes occur. Um, and I think that those intangibles that you were speaking about are going to influence all of the other aspects, the, the many other buckets, which uh, we can get into, but Relationship-wise, I think if people started to spend more time together with uh, meaningful content in their conversations, or even the valuable time that we have limited resource of, we choose to spend it with other people who are providing value back to us. Um, I'll speak to uh, some personal experience, which is um, I have a uh, we call ourselves we're a, we're a tribe we're a, we're a brotherhood of men that that spend a few hours together every single week that um, we're accountable to one another. We have eyes on one another. We we're interested in, in bettering each other and then also setting intentions and goals for ourselves that then our lives freaking advance. Mm. And I think that so many other people need that in their life as well, but they haven't stacked that as a priority. Mm -hmm. in their in their matrix of time to say I, i'm going to do something for myself which also serves other people which then just, just has this sort of you know waterfall effect a water it just it, it continues to propagate in other aspects of our life so i think that there becomes a relationship piece with not only yourself your spouse uh, 
you, you start to extend it into friendships, into meaningful, purposeful um, communities and groups. But that all takes in, intention too. But then that time spent, which is, you know, sharpening your sword, it's, it's, it's uh, gaining clarity when you get up to like your tabula rasa moment and you're like, okay, what, where am I headed? Where do I want to go? Where, where do I choose to, to seek my, my exchange of value and, and, and life force? then that's where I think it starts to, to influence the rest of society. And, and children start to go, that dude's got a smile on his face. He's got pep in his step. He's helping that guy out. He's successful at, at making this trinket or whatever it is. Man, that's really cool. How did he do that? Mm-hmm. And, and then maybe it's conversation. And maybe it's then, you know, mentorship and and other things that that step into and it's not mentorship in as an apprentice to learn how to make the trinket it's an apprenticeship on seeking the desire within ourselves on what do you want to do Mm -hmm. who do you want to be what feels good to you as an exchange between one another Mm -hmm. does it feel good to Does it feel good to get vulnerable and share something with a group or a person and then have them reflect back to you a reflection that is meaningful and then helps you renegotiate your choice going forward? Like that's a really great exchange of high value with vulnerability and uh, a lot of intention. That's, That's getting brave. That's getting brave to step out of, you don't do that and you need to be tough or strong or, you know, you could just be quiet about that and you'll, you'll figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those sorts of things where I think we're there now, that's what people do now, where the change would be more accountability for one another, more looking out for each other's best interests, more um, seeking ways to, to, you see a problem and you're going to find a solution for it as mm-hmm. opposed to seeing a problem. And it's not my problem. Um, or I don't have the time just, to be involved in it or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, e- e- even something as simple as, and again, like w- once you really think about it, you're like, wow, you see how many things influence things to produce the circumstance that we currently have, right? Almost nothing is has one single causative factor, right? Usually it's, you know, it's innumerable probably. But even, you know, as you were saying all that, I was thinking about the role of elders in our society today. And I and I think, what is it today? It's put a diaper on them, put them in a nursing home, gets there's someone else's problem, get someone else to take care of them, keep them on life support until they die, then have a funeral, shed a few tears onto the, you know, onto the next day. And it sounds, I mean, it sounds emotionalist and horrible, but that's kind of how it's characterized. And then you think about other cultures in the past who perhaps, you know, uh, placed less emphasis on productivity, material accumulation, whatever it might be, and placed more emphasis on the accrued wisdom attained by a life lived, let's say, and the respect thusly ascribed to the people who have it, which would be the elders. Right. And again, like 
there's going to be lots of different ways to, you know, to approach this thing. But I do think that in an environment where people have less artificial time scarcity, so they have a, you know, they have more time on their hands, they, they existed within a culture that is not so is not distracting away from these concerns is more focused on identifying things of greatest value and helping to channel resources toward those ends toward both greater clarity around those things and how to manifest their products in the world, let's say to create, um, we will elevate, we will re-elevate perhaps that, that aspect of the culture. And we'll probably have stronger nuclear families. Once again, there'll be less single parent homes. There'll be, uh, you know, the whole structure will be stronger and we will probably have more humane, more elevated, more enlightened ways of dealing with old people, you know, elder, elderly people. And that will, I, I mean, I think we'll, we'll find ourselves in a situation where we treat them as though they are more valuable, as, as though they have more value than we currently are treating them. And, and we will benefit from that because I think they, they will they do accrue wisdom through life, but we just in our busyness and in our neglect and in our apathy and in our distraction from being distracted by so many things, we just neglect that potential wisdom and we let them kind of wither away and, and die. And I think we'll appreciate that more as we move into a, a more rational or more sensible culture for lack of a better word. And just, you know, my, I don't have a ton of experience in that domain, but I will say anecdotally, um, in 2008 and 2009, I went to the Amazon to learn about ayahuasca. And I spent, you know, a few months each time in the jungle with a shaman doing the whole thing. Um, but prior to going in there, there's a town called Iquitos. It's the main, it's the biggest, uh, jungle city in Peru. And it's a jumping off point for going further down or up the river. Um, and like I was there for three nights before going to the smaller town and on two separate nights, I, I sat down with, uh, ended up sitting at a restaurant and next table to me was, you know, a, let's say a 70 year old American dude with cancer. And the next night, a seven, 70 year old American dude with AIDS, they were both dying. And so this was, they were down there as a last, last ditch effort, not even really to try to heal themselves, but just to kind of come to grips with things. And now this has the added intensity of people like knowing that they're right at the end of their life, which doesn't characterize all elders, but suffice it to say that those two conversations were like amongst the, they might've been the two most interesting conversations of my life. And it was because they were so open, so vulnerable, so genuine. There was no, you know, that facade we were referencing earlier. There's no need. I'm old as shit right. and I'm about to die. Why? Like, what do I need to right. put on any airs for? And so they were just, honest and their accumulated wisdom was able to flow out of them and me being, you know, and uh, fascinated by what that might be and, and intrigued and interested just kept probing and probing and probing. And, and so not only did we have what I thought was extremely uh, valuable and meaningful conversations, but at the end of both of them, I also had like a best friend, yeah. you know, it's like that. Cause that's what happens when, you're honest and you're open and you're forthcoming and you're sincere and you're talking about the things that are most meaningful. You can't help but become close with a person after that. And um, and so I, I think that uh, approach to elders and their capacity to to 
uh, serve that role in families and in society more broadly will be reappreciated, reelevated, and uh, and hopefully more common in you know this Bitcoin future that we often dream of. And I totally agree. I, and not so much about focused on the elders, but if we just boiled it down to the essence of uh, honoring life, because it's you want those elders to die with a, a quality of life that's high. Right. Yeah. As opposed to, hey, I spend $10,000 a month and you're in the best care facility, but you're alone and uh, it's not so great. So I totally agree. Um, I have uh, a personal experience where my sister-in-law has cancer right now and um, it's, it's a tough battle and a struggle. And I've been able to, we were able to have her in our home for quite a while. And it was a an awakening for me too of honoring the time that we have seeking the best quality of life, no matter what the circumstances are, each one, like the, the man with AIDS in the jungle with you, like he's got nothing to lose except for this moment right here. So like, mm -hmm. make it the best thing that you can make it the, make it the way that you want it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, care for that elder care for that loved one in, in ways that's just the, the best, the most humane. Um, and that, I mean, that, if we just, that's a perspective shift that's going to also start to filter through in the rest of our society as well, how we show up and care for other people, mm -hmm. not only just you start in the family and, but that's going to also extend beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and pursuing this idea of greater clarity around what's most valuable or meaningful. I mean, I think that's why those conversations and that role in society is so important because, you know, you're young, you're uninformed, you're full of hormones. You're just like carpe diem, right? Go get the world. And you got nothing but right. time, energy, and enthusiasm. Um, but it's those people and, and in the extreme, your sister-in-law, that the, the guys that I was speaking with, like value just comes right into focus when you're in, in their now, I shouldn't say value because value is very context dependent, but what is most important, you know, what is broadly more meaningful, I think comes into focus in those instances. Because, you know, as they often say, you can't take it with you, right? So they're clearly not focused upon the meaning or the importance of their cars, their home, the things they've accumulated. Like in those moments, it just narrows right down. It's like, what's most important to me? The relationship with loved ones, family, you know, perhaps beauty, my, time in nature and what I'm able to observe with the last, you know, little bit of time I have left, have left, you know, whatever, those sorts of things. And I think it's, that's part of the, the importance of that role in society is tethering that like really clarity on value and meaning that's derived not only from having lived life and having all that experience, but also the distillation of focus that, that dawns when you're at the end of life and tethering that to the younger generation. Who, who who could benefit from a, a sprinkling of of wisdom? Most often, they're probably not going to take it. But at least if we if 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 there's a cultivation around the importance of that relationship, they're more likely to take on board some of it. There's you know youth, uh, you know youth will always be somewhat irrationally exuberant or whatever the the right term is. But at least not having at least having that relationship capable of of being had and not have it not, not be present for reasons of the family has been broken down. Society is disintegrated. You know, 
time and financial and energetic scarcity, you know, has made it impossible, like resolving all those things. So at least there's a, a line of communication between the wisdom of, of the elder generation and the potential and capacity of the younger generation. Even if the conversation occurs and they, they uh, don't pay attention to it for 10 or 15 years of their life, later on they go, oh, I remember. I remember right. that conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and also, it was important for me to have that conversation. Then when they're older, they're going to have it with their grandchildren and the, the younger youth as well to bestow all of that wisdom forward. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think of, you know, we work in cycles. A lot of people point to cycle theories. Um, and maybe a lot of that is related to our verbal uh, storytelling that decays and we lose the stories that were important from the lessons learned from our elders, then their importance fell off because we were focused in other areas. And then we have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. How great would it be if the steps, if we start to build those stepping stones on top of lessons learned and not have to repeat them? Yeah. Do you think that's, well, do you think that's what's going to happen if we, if Bitcoin prevails? Yeah. I mean, if I close my eyes and I really think about it, you look way down field and we go, you go through generations of, of that truth where people care for one another with a humility and, and deep reverence. I think that it does evolve and continually improve. I don't, I don't think that it, it's a reset back to square one. I really do. I think that would be true. Maybe I'm idealistic. <laughs> well, we, we both definitely are, but I, I agree with you. I, I don't know if we can ever like that cycle, you know, the strongman cycle, if you will, or even just the cycle of, you know, uh, building up and becoming comfortable and complacent. And then that complacency and comfort, you know, being disintegrative in some way, and then having, you know, a cycle generated because of that. I don't, I don't know if we can ever extricate ourselves from that or transcend it entirely, but I, I do think it's quite possible that the, perhaps the peaks and troughs or the, the pain around that cycle is, uh, muted or, or like it's it's a less pain, painful process and we can go into it perhaps more consciously and as a result of that the culture becomes the culture considers or individuals families and as a result the culture considers that scenario and and traditions and rituals and other forms of uh individual and collective behaviors let's say uh become part of attempting to recognize and address those things in advance of them being overly disruptive. I think, I think you just pinned on something too, that's really important. The traditions, rituals, ceremonies, those are experienced events. It's mm -hmm. not that you read it in a book. It's not that the words were written down. It's that you have that experience with somebody else, or you have an experience with importance, relevancy, content, meaning, uh, all of those things that what the cross-section of life in time, children, youth, adults, elders, if, if those ceremony, ritual, traditions, 
have importance and are emphasized with one another, they continue, they continue forward. Mm -hmm. Um, God, I wish that, I wish that to be the truth. I wish that would be, those are the, those are the meaningful elements in my life. Yeah. Those are pieces where I go, man, that was wonderful. I can't wait for the next one, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or I gleaned information from a, uh, a ceremony or, or, a uh, a ritual with others that you just wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Those are, those are high value moments. Those are time blocks of very high value. Ones totally. that I think like that's the wealth when our life is full of those little blocks across our time spectrum. That's where wealth sits. I totally agree with that. And I think that's exactly, you know, it's what we've been discussing, right? When when your orientation becomes more toward meaning than, let's say, material accumulation, you gain so much more from those uh, those moments or those those instances or whatever. And I think it is having that inculcated, you know, in a family or in a culture, or whatever, is probably a very good thing. I mean, and, and we can see the consequences of this today, even in, in the circumstance we're in. I mean, look at, again, generalizing, but I I, I doubt many would find, uh, would dispute what I'm about to say. And that's take a family where, you know, both parents are still present. Uh, it's in an environment where there's not deprivation. There's a degree of security. Maybe they, you know, we don't even have to say like, you know, the, the ranch sort of scenario, but just a suburban home, you know, mom and dad are present. And let's say also that there's some sort of faith in the family, whichever one, you know, you choose, but that faith kind of orients things and there's ritual around it and it brings certain things into consciousness and it elevates certain values and meanings. Compare, you know, the, the happiness, compare the stability, compare the, uh, the fulfillment compare what the individuals in that circumstance perhaps the children pursue and compare it to a family where there's one parent where there's artificial deprivation where there's no kind of uh, totem of meaning there's nothing orienting there's no system of value and meaning to if not even attached to but to to consider to 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 consider and 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 to explore if none of that is present well, what is the outcome in terms of the happiness and the success and the fulfillment of the the child in those homes? And I would say, you know, I don't have the study in front of me. I don't know if it's been done. Probably pretty obvious what the outcome would be, right? The the better outcomes would be in the former and the worse in the latter. And so I think in in this future that we're hopefully moving into, those attributes of the former example that we would deem to be beneficial are just going to be more prevalent more accessible, more elevated, more important. And it's hard to think that that won't produce more well-adjusted, integrated, stable um, value or meaning-oriented human beings. We're finding presence and joy in probably each moment. How beautiful is that? Ideally. (laughs) Yeah. We're a bunch of romantic idealists here, but yeah. Well, you know, I guess without it being idealized, I can say from my personal experience, you know, I didn't have to change my life all that much. Bitcoin was an avenue to start to discover other truths, right. which started to change the happiness, 
the experience of joy within me. My time um, wasn't so much for others. My time was spent now for how I want to be useful to others. I wasn't giving over myself. I then was deciding how I was going to show up. Minor, minor perspectival change, but life changing, mm. happiness changing, probably health and well-being changing. All the yeah. things that are firing in my body are doing it differently without, <laughs> you know, stress or or whatever it was. I mean, that's that's every cell has awakened, a, as it were. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible. When uh, when when did that happen for you? Um. So you know, I I don't. I'm like many other people. I showed up for the prophets and I'm staying for the prophecy, you know, it's like, <laughs> but when you back up, it makes sense because, you know, I was on the wheel and I'm like, where do I put, where do I put some of this money where that's going to do, do better. And then, okay. I put my money in that. What is it? Okay. Wow. What is this? Holy shit. Look at this. And, and that was a lot of the discovery. There's a few things that, sort of coincide with that moment for me. And that was 2017. Um, that's also when I started to do a little bit more work on myself, where I started to, whether this is just, you know, uh, coincidental in time frame or or not, it's, it's when I started to uh, invest in myself, sought out uh, some men's work, uh, again, those, that relationship sort of, uh, opportunity that then started to give me more introspection and also an avenue out just mm -hmm. from beyond myself is you're a businessman and you need, you know, every relationship is professional to get out of every relationship is professional into relationships have some meaning in addition to the ability to be professional that just, again, elevated my human experience. Um, it showed me a truth. So then I saw other truths, which, you know, you see the Bitcoin truth and there's, you know, there's financial pieces and there's the centralization and there's all the things that occur, but then those, those aspects and elements were also illuminating that there's other parts of my emotional life, my, my physical life that uh, have truths as well. Ones that I, we should desire to, continue to invest in. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it turned out of profit focused. And then it's like, holy shit, this is going to change the world. Um, yeah. Lo Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, then I was, I, I did the family thing where, you know, I'm the crazy guy at the party talking about Bitcoin all the time and how <laughs> here's the change. We're going to change all the world. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I've got and one you had family to adjust that strategy in. after a while. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm I've stepped back. You know, I've got to really just sit back, smile, and and let it roll. Yeah, I think that's the best approach. I I don't uh, I don't try to orange pill anyone anymore. Really, I mean, I express my view on things and I put it out there for the world to see, and whoever is interested can can scoop it up, and if not, that's fine too. But I I feel like. Right. Maybe I had a a bit of training on that of not, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like when the penny really dropped for Bitcoin, I, I, I certainly for people, you know, close to my life, it's not even that I was always trying to pitch them. It's just like, you know, any conversation that has to do with, 
anything really, right? Like fi fixing anything, a problem in society, like whatever. My contribution would be like, you know that um, there's a money problem. Bitcoin here, right? kind of fixes this one too, right? <laughs> you know? And after a while, it's just like, you know, every, that's the expected response. But I feel like I was somewhat, um, you know, prepped for that in when I first uh, started investigating psychedelics, which I guess was in like, I don't know, 2006 or seven or something like that. It was revelatory as well. Like the fact that that experience was available to human consciousness and I had no idea. No one had ever said it. I'd never, you know, been educated about it, nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, aside from anytime something so powerful and so meaningful, you get the sense that it was, if not intentionally hidden, but just, you know, not, uh, not in regular discussion or, or investigation or whatever, like it, it, it causes you to reassess things, right? It causes you to question like, well, what else is, is, is not being represented as truthfully as it might be. But the reason why I bring it up is because then I, you know, I would go to the parties and be the guy that like grabs people by the collar and put them up against the kitchen counter and be like, do you fucking realize what's available? You know, what kind of experience is available? And of course, you know, after doing that a couple of times, uh, you realize that is not a very persuasive approach. So I modified the approach then to, you know, never bring it up. But if people ask me where I've been, where I traveled to, if, if, if anyone, uh, you know, has questions about it, I'm happy to give my perspective and, and have that discussion, but not in a preachy, pitchy, you know, persuasive sort of way. And I think that in conjunction with simply pursuing your own development that you think is most likely to, uh, you know, net the most happy, fulfilling, meaningful life for yourself. Nothing is a, is a greater uh, pitch than that. Nothing is more persuasive than that because everybody wants those things and everyone's looking for those things. Very few people want to be told those things. People want to discern them for themselves, even though they'll go to all sorts of different sources to try to get insight on it, but they don't want to be told. And so all you have to do, if you believe in the merits of what you're pursuing, I mean, you could make the case that why do you need to convince anyone? If you if these things are so fulfilling on their on their face and for yourself, then you should be happy and satisfied with it for, for yourself. And that is definitely the case. And I think that's a you know part of the reason for uh, for not being too preachy either. But the you know the point I'm getting at is I think that that is what is most convincing to people: seeing other people that they want to emulate, as you kind of alluded to earlier, and then asking themselves the question: what what are they doing that's so special what 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 the idea in their head is animating them or is causing them to see things in a way that's working or is that is producing this outcome and then you know then they go on the journey for themselves which is necessary right Pe people literally have to learn these things for themselves whether we're talking about self-custodying your bitcoin or some other philosophical spiritual or whatever idea or whatever you have to discover the merits of it for yourself so that you can engage in the process of knowledge acquisition and, and experience acquisition that will allow you to invite the benefits of that into your life. And there's really no other way. So um, I feel you on the initial exuberance around, you know, pitching things that are meaningful and backing off and, and uh, taking a different approach, I guess. Well, you know, there's, there's this piece in the monetary system that you and I are so excited about that's related to proof of work as well and what you're saying is like you got to do the work mm -hmm. it's i can't do it for you um, yeah and yeah i mean i think that 
some people can accelerate probably five years of hard work or therapy by doing a, a psychedelic medicine journey and get to the insights themselves fairly quickly and rapidly. But it's up to those individuals on how they choose to pursue that. And then when they experience their truth, their their essence, what they want, um, then that's what they that's that becomes their navigation symbol. They're, the the rudder in the water that gets to point them in the direction of of their true north. What mm-hmm. is your truth? It's not what John Vallis tells me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's what my truth is. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And then in 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 that particular case, because I you know broadly self help has been a thing for a long time, right? And no wonder if if we really are in this sort of sick society we were discussing before, you would expect there to be a, a robust industry for helping people to be healthy and happy and that sort of a thing. Um, and there's many drugs are pretty successful too, right? Right, right. You know, all, all sorts of different ways to uh, help transcend or improve the circumstance. Um, no, I was and, saying also the drug, the drug sales to uh, numb. Oh yeah, no, but that's that's what, that's what I mean. So whether you're yeah. helping it in a, let's say a healthy way by pursuing self-help books and whatever wisdom they have in them, or you're covering it up with drugs and alcohol, or, you know, like we said before, there's many, many approaches people take. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is that now, because whether you pursued psychedelics or spirituality or stoic philosophy or whatever, they all have a certain degree of application, of course, like, you know, like we said at the beginning, you can't abdicate responsibility for your own experience and and that kind of stuff but there was this profound sense that i can i can carve out a niche i but i don't see how the bigger picture gets fixed you know like and and my my faith was always well we could have a different world tomorrow if everyone just decided to act differently you know like if everyone was always honest and everyone held themselves to that standard we wouldn't need bitcoin right because everyone is 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 dedicated to always being honest but at scale it would seem that that is an unrealistic expectation so that's what caused me and i think a lot of people like even whatever amount of work you do on yourself to kind of look out on the world and still be like man i don't see how we're going to fix this at scale and then bitcoin comes on the scene and as we've been discussing and as many people begin to realize that seems to be what that is. And so I, to me, the reason why I bring it up now is it seems like a perfect complement to these, let's say, individual refinement, development sort of techniques, whatever they may be, to meet that or complement that with something that can be plugged into or that can work at scale um, and kind of is imbued with very similar values that a lot of people encounter when they're when they're pursuing their own refinement and development. Um, and that is just that's just tremendous because you you can you can be the godhead you know on a psychedelic trip and you can experience nirvana and all that kind of stuff but you still have to come back to that perverted culture that you know you left when you, wherever you went and it's just it's very empowering and and hopeful and uh, invigorating to seemingly have a mechanism or a tool to infuse those sorts of principles or values into that is actually rewarded, that is actually upregulated, that is actually incentivized now in the world as a result of, of that tool. 
Yeah, truth is a really big deal here because as you stated, you know, Bitcoin does a really good job of in making sure that the the truth happens, right? No one's going to no one's going to shift it. We can lie to ourselves a lot. I think that we lie to ourselves. I think people can lie to ourselves a lot. But if you have absolute honesty with yourself and you're not allowing yourself to tell untruths, you go back and you can look at you can look right at your situation and go, I've been lying to myself that this is okay. Uh, you know, um, if we can lie to ourselves, we can lie to others. Or mm-hmm. even the other way, if we lie to others, if we're willing to lie to others, even small little ones, we're willing to lie to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. Yeah, ideally, it could all happen like that. But it, yes, the beauty is there that we have a resource that reinforces the idea of absolute truth. And if we are the most truthful with ourselves, that's the way that we're going to be the healthiest and the happiest. And then also interact with one another and in, I don't know, I guess the most beneficial sense, beneficial way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Very well said. All right. Let me, there's, there's been a question lingering in my mind since we moved past it a, a little while ago. It's, it's around this notion of, of what is wealth and progress and that kind of stuff. Um, and there seems to be, as a result of this reorientation of values, um, at least amongst the hardcore Bitcoiners, again, of an uh, appreciation or elevation of those intangible things, relationships and health and truth and freedom and those sorts of things that don't have a, a price, basically. Um, and so it would seem that people are reorienting their lives in that direction. And maybe that's a reversion to some traditional ways of living, whether it be less processed food, whether it be, you know, the roles in the household, whether it be how to raise children, whether it be where geographically you're living, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I feel a lot of that myself, and it's very interesting to see this process unfold and to engage in it and to figure out what what works best. How do you Again, there, there is no we in this sense. You know, we will all just continue to deploy our time, energy, and financial resources to manifest what we deem most valuable in the world, material or otherwise. But how do you think that trend will extend or, or what will happen with that trend as we move forward? Do you think that will be something that um, happens to a lot of people? And in that, let's just imagine a world where the answer to that is yes. Do you think it's transitory, as in we kind of have to step back from the the chaos and the perversion and the 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 hyper process world of fiat before we move into kind of a next step of what we build as a civilization, um, or does that or is progress kind of very much changed as a result of? of this new foundation. And I guess what I'm getting at, I'm kind of sloppy here, but how do you, what do you think we end up pursuing as, as a civilization in, if that's an initial glimpse into how our value systems are being restructured? Yeah. So if I want to be really pithy about it, I would say it's um, less things, but are of higher value to us. And so there's, I think that 
So I think, yes, the transition will occur and will take some time. And it will, t and this is a beautiful thing right now. I think that people are awakening to it and it's transitioning. Do I want it to be faster? Yeah, I think it could be really cool if it was faster, but it's happening. Mm. But the slow transition, I think, will start to bring awareness into people's minds where they don't need so much shit. They need a few things that they really like. And I think that that is going to focus also down to even at food. What, what are the nutrients? What, what are the dense foods that I want to put into my body? I don't need to put a lot of shit in it. I want to put high quality things into my body so that because it feels better or I operate better at it or wow, it, it's just more aligned with myself, right? I think that that will also transition. And I think, yeah, then there's industrial uh, implications there. And, you know, the regenerative farmers are going to start to, to really up-level their production. And then in them up-leveling their production, our microclimates are going to change too because we're starting capturing more water, sequester more carbon. Our microclimates change. This is not just... This is not just a person level thing. This is this is our 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 earth. This is our 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 climate. I'm I'm not I'm not a, a climate evangelist. I'm just saying the capacity for our environment to change based on our actions. Um, I think we'll also be we'll observe that. I think we will see those great changes. Mm. I think that. Um, I think that people are going to do more with less as well. And I guess that's also the relationship side. We won't be so um, distracted maybe by all of the things that we have in our life, but we will have filtered down to the things that we really want to have. And then also fill in the gaps that were full of some things that we didn't really need with valuable relationships. Mm -hmm. And time spent with one another. And then I think that really propagates, um, as we spoke earlier, about how we show up for one another, what's meaningful to one another, how companies would probably start to pr provide products and services that will be in a different way that we don't yet see because we aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I, I think also by virtue of uh, us being able to, to retain more of the fruits of our labor and the fruits of everyone's labor accruing to uh, our reserves, i.e. purchasing power accumulating or accruing to uh, to the money in use in such a system, people will not only be deploying less capital on frivolous things, as you say, but they'll, so they'll have a lot more deployable capital. And then, you know, the really juicy question is like, well, what does it really get deployed on? And I agree with you in principle, like it will be deployed on things of much greater value than, you know, all the stuff that gets produced today with a very low so-called hurdle rate. And I'm just so interested in what that is. I mean, you and it, yeah. it's impossible to know, of course. I, and I I do think that we're, we're kind of experiencing a kind of reversion true to, true to, to tradition right now as a response to the excesses of fiat. And that's kind of like, that's step one. And then there'll be a, a stepping, you know, another step forward out of that in, in what way or what direction, I don't know, but even just think of something like 
think about our knowledge base globally. And of course, you know, I, I say we're in a dark age, but it, it must be recognized that with the advent of the internet and communications technology and the advancement of science and all that kind of stuff, we certainly are able to accrue and transmit knowledge on a scale that we've and information on a scale we never have before. But think about how much even that process is perverted by, you know, the grants and subsidies that, you know, certain academic institutions dole out to certain areas and focuses of studies not determined by the free market, i.e. the value structures of the collective value structures of everyone. Think about all the bright minds engaged in, you know, the financialization of the world rather than, you know, science, technology, other fields, what have you. And so when 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 all of that perversion really gets when that burden is removed, let's say from, you know, collective human knowledge generation. I mean, how does the how does how quickly that grows affect you know all of the options that are in front of us and are the things we're able to choose you know, like how we're able to graft our values, what we're able to graft our values on, and 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 how we're able to engage them and, and express them and manifest them in different ways. Like, I mean, I, I just have fun speculating because there's obviously no answers to these questions, but it it's no, another it's one a, of those things a, that's not considered often, but it's probably going to have a massive effect. It's a cool question because I think how we will choose to spend our energy, our resource, our, our Bitcoin will be in ways that we see beneficial, which, you know, it's almost like a gift. Um, you know, I'm going to choose to spend my money here because it gives me this thing, but it's also maybe better for something else. Or I want to gift some Bitcoin to this um, cause, group, whatever it is. I think then the the financialization, all of those smart brains that are currently in, in the current system will start to move over to say, wait, uh, we need to focus on what people are actually wanting to spend this our value on mm. and it may not be in the gaming of financialization and and hopefully that loop you know implodes on itself but they'll start to focus their uh capacity their mental energy in ways that we want to gift for the benefit of our society and humanity and then all of a sudden, I think if, as opposed to enriching ourselves, it's enriching the world. That's where the big, that's like a pretty big boat we have to turn. But all of a sudden, the incentives then would be for the betterment of others as opposed to enriching ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, but it sounds very grandiose, but man, that would be cool. <laughs> well, I mean, to support that, uh, that notion Again, I keep I keep saying this disclaimer. Like I, I recognize how deep in the weeds I am with all this Bitcoin stuff, but I it I do seem to be observing a tremendous amount of generosity and and charitableness amongst people in this so-called community. Like uh, and and obviously the more disposable wealth that this community generates, I, and the more people that come into it, and the more people that kind of adopt those. That's sort of a value, if you can call it that. I think uh, that will amp that will amp be amplified. And um, I'm, you know, it's, it's what's the right word? I'm impressed. I'm, uh, it's it's heartwarming. It's encouraging to see 
that degree of generosity and charitableness already, like at this early stage when, you know, it's still the, the opportunity cost for not stacking every sad is extremely high. Presumably in the future, that'll, that'll be diminished and that charitableness, the opportunity cost of being charitable would be even less. But it's, um, as you say, I mean, there just seems to be a willingness, a capacity to do good, to, to, to consider the well-being of people outside of, you know, yourself and your immediate family, let's say. I, my experience in April reinforced that tenfold because I left that conference full of people similarly aligned. And I thought, yeah, these are the people that would be great to have a vision on how to incentivize our futures. Mm. These are the people who will care carefully, um, carefully invest in, in others. I, it just it it was very hopeful that the humanity that sits in that room yeah. and you know i've got orange colored lenses in my glasses right i'm sure but mm -hmm. i don't know comparatively to to other experiences it's it was potent there's, there's something going on <laughs> something, something going water. on here something going uh, on here the the maybe the the last one or the last one that i have is you know, you, you, you mentioned something earlier. Uh, I can't remember exactly the terms you use, but something to the effect that like you're part of the idea or notion or experience of wealth is having more meaning in each moment, let's say. I think we kind of agreed on that. <clears throat> and it made me think of, um, and in, in conjunction with thinking of like, well, where might, how might civilization, how might culture look in this era that, presumably we're moving into, or they're hopefully we're moving into. And it made me think of my time. I lived in Japan for a year when I was <clears throat> 17 and 18. Um, and I remember at the time, like I was an exchange student. So they put me in all these cultural classes. So I, I did flower arrangement. I did calligraphy. I did tea ceremony. And at the time I was like, this is so fucking boring. What, like, what, <laughs> what is this? And, and since then, especially kind of recent, like I developed a greater appreciation for it as I grew older. But, you know, even now through this lens, I'm thinking like those, those, those practices seem to be doing something extremely simple, but still with a very wide, uh, with a lot of room for increased competency. That's kind of a weird way to put it, but like, there's a lot of room for excellence, even though they're very simple, uh, practices, but I don't think they would, and and they're kind of, they're, they're so rich with meaning, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And the people who engage in them and who really, who really engage in them, I think experience that. And that's why they've be and they become, I mean, those practices were extremely elevated in, especially, you know, uh, bygone era in Japan, let's say they're, they're, they still linger around, but in earlier areas, they were very important very highly respected practices. And it, it just seems to me uh, that they're very simple, but they're very careful and meticulous. And there's so much, uh, and the element of skill is very present and the element of practice and the element of refinement and improvement, et cetera. And I, I guess I'm just thinking like, it's fascinating that so much meaning and so much fulfillment could be extracted or ascribed or experienced in what's seemingly such a simple practice. But to me, when you said like, 
maximizing the meme, the, the amount of meaning you get out of, you know, every moment or per unit of time was, I think my, uh, framing, it, it made me think of that because here is something, and, and especially in relation to the future, like, will we just be pursuing the next wormhole with the next starship or will that element of experience come back in a sense or in different ways? And, and will it be amplified or, or revered or elevated once again, because it's, it's an expression of the ability to access such profound meaning in such a simple activity. And is that not, are, are we not at least uh, theorizing that that's an aspect of potentially a huge aspect of, of wealth, of one's experience of, of wealth and being wealthy and all that kind of stuff? Well, I think you didn't use this word, but everything I heard you describe was intention because it was what I'm doing this thing and I'm focused on, I'm really focused on it and I'm making it the intention I'm putting into whatever it was, the calligraphy or the, the, the um, flowers, but your intention is being placed in something. And I mm. think that that's extremely potent. And I think that that's actually a magical experience of being a human is our ability to focus our intention to say, this is what I want to do right here, right now, put my energy into this. I have the ability to drive my focus into something with my intention. That's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing if you get aware, if, if you, if you're aware of it too, right? you can intentfully also just kind of, you know, throw your feet up and not care and zone out, but re experience really gets elevated with intention and purposeful action, even right. if making simple things and you can make them over and over and over again. Right. And I, th I think there's also, yeah, you, you're imbuing these actions with your intention, which is powerful and makes them extremely relevant. But also, as you say, if you're conscious of it, like there's always, whether, well, whether you're conscious of it or not, I would say all the more powerfully if you are, is the, the knowledge that when you do anything, the opportunity cost is everything else. Because that time and energy that you're expending you know, you won't, you won't get it back. It's a, it's a one-time deal. And so in that sense, like whatever you can establish a relationship where, because what, what, what is your time and, and your energy worth? What is your moment to moment existence worth? I mean, and so for some people, ostensibly for people that treat themselves poorly, who abuse themselves and all, all that kind of stuff, it's very low, but you could also, especially if you have a certain faith or spirituality, you might say it's the amongst the highest things that there is, you know, human life or, or consciousness or, or whatever. And so anytime you devote the resources that propagate that to something, you're almost, you're imbuing that degree of value into that thing, right? And that thing, so that like, it becomes a container for the utmost value in a way, the utmost meaning. Um, and, you know, perhaps it doesn't come naturally. Perhaps it's a practice. I think it's, um, you know, it's kind of like a meditation to be able to get to the place where you can be so fulfilled and satisfied and not, you know, bored in that place. But I think that's that's why it became so special because, you know, people found out a way to 
make it so beautiful, so rich with meaning, so meticulous, so careful, and that they did that somehow a, a representation or a glorification, not just of the thing itself, the flower, the tea ceremony, the the word on uh, and the ink on the page, but also of the person and the capacity of people, you know, a judgment of both almost in that sense. I think also what you described is that in the intention and that experience, the the sort of magnificence of the moment, becoming aware of it, you realize, wow, I'm in control of a lot of this. Right. And I think of uh, things that can go wrong. And then you're given the choice of how is it going to affect you? Am I going to carry the energy of my tea ceremony or of my uh, joyful intention and let this bad experience overtake it? Or am I going to uh, take this difficult situation and then transmute it into a way that I'm still okay? Mm. I'm still okay in it. And that's where I think like building the muscle of the magnificent moment, the the intentional moment, the intentional time, the, the way that we're choosing to to spend our time in ways that feel good to us that are meaningful also allow when difficult circumstances to arise to then also say, what's, what's the, what's the opportunity here for me to carry how I want to be here? Because this is, I still have this minute of the rest of my life that needs to be spent in a way. Mm -hmm. How do I choose to, to, to manage it, deal with it, show up for it? Yeah. That's really cool. And, and that's what, that's what's such an interesting question for me is like, will our future with this potentially changing orientation, will we reintegrate those sorts of uh, approaches or practices into our life? And what, what seems like a waste of time now, or what, what seems like, you know, uh, a simple unproductive act perhaps by virtue of all the stuff you just mentioned, all the different components that are wrapped up in it and the, the beauty that it represents as a result, perhaps, will it be uh, seen as a far more valid use of time in the future as it did back then? Because I, I think one of the assessing history is always difficult because you're, you know, uh, you kind of look at history through your own time period and, and you know, the, all the different biases and the stuff of, of the current era. But we tend to just think like all this stuff that happened in the past, whether it's in Japan or Egypt or Middle Ages, Europe, you know, pick pick your place. It's always very often we describe a culture in terms of its technological uh, advancement. And we say like, well, they weren't doing these things because they weren't su- sufficiently technologically advanced. And they were doing these things because that was the only technology they had available to them. But I do sometimes wonder like if, if, you you have a culture. I'm not suggesting it was you know ancient Japan, but let's just say a, a hypothetical culture, which engaged in those things like that, and they did so because they found them to be the most meaningful or the most valuable ways of existing. You know, ways of spending time, their limited time, and as a result, they that value hierarchy or value system didn't prioritize rapid iteration of innovation or advancement because what could be derived from that was seen as being less valuable than what could be derived from 
you know, these, these types of practices. And, uh, and I can see, I can easily see that being the case, why we might look at a culture now and say, wow, they were in the dark ages or they were undeveloped for so long when from their perspective might've been, no, no, like we could have innovated more. We could have, you know, done more. We could have pursued certain lines of innovation, but we ended up devoting our time to these things because we felt they were more valuable, more important, more meaningful. And perhaps one of the, you know, we we're discussing uh, potential circumstances, you know, the factors that necessitate or that produce the current circumstance we're in. Again, many, I'm sure, but maybe one of them has just simply been a an overzealous infatuation or an, or an over indexing for simply material differentiation, material innovation, material development, material accumulation at the expense of other things that we might've devoted our time and, and ingenuity towards and attention and all the other things that our, our consciousness is capable of um, at the expense of those things and what, what they might've produced had our orientation been somewhat different? Have we, have we not been so focused on, on material innovation and had we been focused on, well, you know, the other end of the spectrum, for lack of a better term, spiritual innovation, you know, which there are obviously several ancient cultures and societies that seem to have been far more oriented on that end of the spectrum than the material. Yeah, I think we have some unlearning to do, John. <laughs> I think, you know, I think there's some things that we have to think, you know, we've been reinforced, but maybe we need to unlearn that those were those things that we were chasing were maybe not aligned with our greatest incentives. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I get really curious about other cultures. I, I personally really align with, you know, the native American, native American church, the, the ways that the indigenous were able to, to live uh, and chose to live. And, and it, it's not, I'm not saying that um, we're going to live like indigenous people again. But I think that the decisions that the indigenous made in how they lived with one another and gifted with one another and connected into uh, the seasons and the land and um, the animals that fed them um, is really profound. I, I think that there's a, there. there's a lot of wisdom. And if we step back into some of the conversation we had about elders, the elders were the wise ones that also bestowed the wisdom into that culture, um, you know. And, and you know, I find it beautiful. I find it something that I revere. I find it as something that seems rich with um, meaning, I guess, because mm -hmm. I see that it's interpersonal relationship um and care care for one another and you know there's lots of stories about the brutality and, and war the wars between um different nations but at the same time that was also the excitement of life which also added all of those elements into their existence as well and you know i yeah, again, I just, I, I think that that's a beautiful experience. I think that um, there's some unlearning for us to do to maybe pick up some of those forgotten 
ways of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those opportunities still would exist. And I think that there's ways for us to, to live um, differently than we do today, but could also unearth some of the ancestral opportunities that have been forgotten. Yeah. And I don't know what they are. No, me neither. Uh, but I totally agree with that. And I, I, I share your, um, you know, intrigue and interest in, in many such cultures, but, you know, particularly uh, Native American is super fascinating to me. And I agree, there's <clears throat> so much wisdom that was lost both in our, well, both in how history uh, unfolded vis-a-vis, you know, Europeans and Native Americans, but also just in in how our current worldview kind of uh, makes it more difficult for us to discern what wisdom might have been contained in those things. And uh, I don't know how much of it can be retrieved, but I agree with you that unlearning, you know, removing those restrictive parameters, perceptual parameters, perhaps, is important in order to at least leave yourself open to seeing what might have been left on the table, what what a narrow worldview, what a narrow ideology might have left out. And to bring it, bring it full circle, I think that's part of the reason why at, you know, conferences like the one we were at or, or at Rob's thing at the rooftop of the um, Fountain Blue, I think it was there, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think um, so. There's um, also this like humor and and like everyone's smiling that pervades the thing. And I, I think part of it is all the stuff we mentioned, but also just everyone's realizing like, holy shit, like it's all, every, like everything is brand new in a way. Like there's just, everyone's kind of in on the secret that a lot, like that narrow perspective has generated and, you know, all the different me- mechanics around it has generated the the culture that we have. And it's almost like we, many of us have seen you know, has torn away the veil in a sense. And it was like, oh, like so much of that is bullshit needs to be recapitulated. And it's almost, it's almost funny that uh, uh, it's, it, it almost it, it induces, you know, laughter, it induces humor because it's it, like, it's so absurd that that is what's going on that you, when you see other people that uh, who, who see things in a similar way, you can't help but share a laugh because you're in on this like just crazy wild thing together and there's so much so much before you and i i think that's another reason that you know such a strong or or close or genuine relationships get created at those sorts of things absolutely i i shared an experience with my wife over this past weekend where we were observing another family and it was like oh man that's fiat parenting right there <laughs> Uh, we 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 should write that book uh but that that bright orange finger wagging (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly yeah no i feel you i feel you i do that all the time um well ethan man this has been awesome as expected anything that you wanted to cover or discuss or anything like that before we shut it down i would just say you know thanks for for um Thanks for this, because this is something that's been on my mind and in my heart. And I feel like hopefully this is maybe something that somebody can hear and glean something from it. So this is a bit of me finding a way to gift back. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you being open about it and willing to have a conversation like this. And um, we'll have to do it again sometime. I don't know. Are you going to be in Miami for the next one? Uh, We don't currently have plans for it, but maybe. 
yeah. yeah. I'd like to find some time in, you know, our meat suits to hang out. Yeah. Well, either in meat suits over beer or or another one like this sometime, we'll we'll definitely get together and, and further the discussion. Yeah. That sounds great, John. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. See ya. Thanks. Thanks.